Joining us now, our good friend, Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I hope everyone's having a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to put three in there. I don't know how many Lawrence Welk put in. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I think it was three that he put in there, too. Uh, thank you to everybody from the Greater Cleveland Audubon Society for allowing me to spend a few days with them, got to speak at some things, and do a bunch of bird walks over just beautiful properties. Uh, I saw so many of the uh, old, uh, we call them crawdads, those little chimneys they make, and uh, it was just fun, a lot of great birds and and wondrous people. It was just so so much fun. Al, we should uh, clarify that that's Cleveland, Ohio, not Cleveland, Minnesota, which is just a little ways down is. the road. And uh, I would happily been in Cleveland, Minnesota, too. It's a wonderful place. So uh, the, the flight would have been much quicker yeah. to get to Cleveland, Minnesota. Uh, a couple of things from last week. We were talking about cottonwood trees. They are native to North America, and cottonwood trees are fast-growing varieties, and they provide some shade. Some uh, species, boy, I don't know, we have them on the farm. they got to be 100 feet in height at least, and they're known for their cotton-like seeds, and the trees pollinate before their cottony fluff is released into the air. So I was in the, I was in a clinic. Uh, having uh, some things, I get the surgery coming up, so doing doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I asked one because I said uh, last week I said I talked to a doctor who said uh, they really weren't a concern as far as allergens. So while I'm in there, you know, I'm paying for it anyway, and it's not this guy's expertise. But I just asked him if if he knew, and he said uh, I don't. But he said there's a guy just right in like the office next door here who will know. So we went in there and talked to him, because I thought they're wind-pollinated, so there must be some pollen. And he said that they are, and he's an uh, allergist, and he said they are considered moderately allergenic. So uh, there is some concerns, and I'm guessing for some folks more than others. And we see a lot of those. I was in Albert Lee and Invergrove Heights uh, right after the show last week. And they, they were covering the ground with that cottonwood fluff. And we got a nice note from a listener who said, if I can find the right uh, thing, it was Kathy, mm -hmm. said, was listening to you chat with Al Bat. A writer had asked about stuff coming down during the strong winds on Sunday. She might have met these little seeds. They're from elm trees. We had a lot come down on Sunday, too, and now they cover the ground. You might want to share this with Al. And thank you, Kathy, and Karen did share it with me. They're little round seed pods that come on uh, elm trees, and they are so light, and they just blow everywhere, and just like the the slightest breeze, and they're not, they used to be such a common sight, Kathy. We had elm trees just growing everywhere, and then Dutch elm disease came in and wiped them out, and they were replaced uh, with ash trees for the most part, and now, of course, I was in Ohio where I'm seeing, uh, or I saw the dead trees caused by the emerald ash borer. So I don't have elm trees here, so what I'm seeing floating through the air are uh, cottonwood fluff. But, uh, boy, I'm happy for folks that have elm trees. They are such beautiful, beautiful trees. And another thing I mentioned last week was about a hen that would crow. And I, I've, had, I've raised a lot of chickens, so I've had several of them. 
And I just happened upon, and I wasn't even looking for it, a magazine called Backyard Poultry. And it mentioned in there uh, Jeff Goldblum's groovy scientist character in the 1993 blockbuster Jurassic Park comments that life finds a way and that somehow the all-female population of cloned dinosaurs would reproduce. Yeah, I, life is just as strange as fiction, I guess. So your backyard chicken can undergo a uh, sex reversal and become a rooster. It's not very common. Mm. A hen who's uh, oh, it was a left ovary, I believe, had failed and consequently had elevated testosterone levels in her body physically transforms to take on male characteristics and that hen will grow a larger comb and longer waddles male pattern plumage spurs and she'll adopt an aggressive rooster-like behaviors and we all know what jerks roosters are so such as a hen crowing and i remember the first time i heard that by our old red hen house i was uh, pounding trying to fill in one of the holes before winter came and the hen crowed and i thought what what is that that can't be you know and you kind of rub your eyes a little bit but so if you have two same-sex birds in captivity they will bond as if they were male and female and if uh, both are females one or both may lay eggs and that's what somebody was talking about on our last mm. week's show okay interesting and, and someone said, where to see water birds? And I should have said just state parks. I don't know why I didn't say state <laughs> parks, but that's, the, but that's the best place on earth here in Minnesota to see stuff like that is the state parks. And, of course, you want one that has plenty of water, but that's a wonderful place. I, uh, a good friend of mine, Tammy Vogel, I just want to say a shout-out to her. She has been named the executive director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Minnesota. And she said, Al, I was at home in a Zoom meeting this morning and was delighted by a Phoebe coming to pick bugs off the fuchsia plant that was hanging just a few feet away from me. It's amazing how much joy birds bring by just their presence. Uh, Ruth Olson sent me some photos of pelicans. Jack May sent me a photo of a pair of sandhill cranes and suggested their movements. They could play the music, uh, the theme song to the Pink Panther. And I, he was uh, Gunner Berg of Albert Lee, a pair of prothonotary warblers along the channel behind the Catholic Cemetery. Also a pair of indigo buntings. Yeah, the Catholic Cemetery is a pretty good uh, place for prothonotary warblers because prothonotary comes from the yellow worn by um, some of the officials in the Catholic Church. Uh, Randy Chirpik sent me a photo of an osprey nesting on lights on a uh, ball field. And you, well, Matt Hayes, a Mankato, said he'd like to know my thoughts on a baby fawn he'd noticed in a vineyard. I nearly tripped over the little one as it seemed not to be very afraid of me. This seemingly newborn deer was left unattended all day long and at one point came running to me while making a whining noise. Is it normal for a newborn deer to be left alone all day and to be unafraid of humans? I've uh, almost stepped on them, too, uh, and once I was mowing uh, out at my mom's place, uh, the grass, I'd let it go, and I was mowing there, and uh, luckily I saw the, I don't know, I'd, 
what a terrible thing that had been to have. I'd not seen the little fawn, but I did, hidden in the grass. There's, they're not abandoned. Uh, you know, it happens once in a while where the mother's hit by a car or something, but for the most part, they're not abandoned because the uh, mama hides newborn fawns in the tall grass or brush and moves some distance away to feed to avoid drawing predators to their offspring. So with the proliferation of deer in, uh, I think, suburban areas probably, sometimes this happens right in people's yards. All of a sudden they got this little fawn out there in the yard, and the fawn simply waits in hiding until its mother returns. And before too long, they'll be strong enough to follow the does and run from predators. And it seems as if they're vulnerable. Uh, These young fawns are not totally helpless. Uh, They have these spotted pelts that look like dappled sunlight on the forest floor or even sometimes in uh, grasses on the edge of woods and offers great camouflage. They do... They don't have much of a scent, or at least they don't have a strong scent that would attract predators. And a doe will leave her fawn in a secluded area, often for as long as 12 hours. Oh, wow. And I've had a couple of them run to me and go, sort of like a goat or something. Yeah, and I don't know why they do that part. Um, if they just think we're bringing them food, Matt, I, I don't know, because they are instructed in the fawn manual <laughs> to sit down and shut up. That's what they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to get up and come after anything other than mom. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Well, I've got another uh, question just to follow up to that. Is So let's say yeah. that the mother deer did get hit by a car or something, and so he sees the deer, deer still there. Would another mother doe take care of it or would it just perish what would happen sometimes they do Uh, sometimes they do and i guess it just depends on the doe how sweet they are or uh how much they want to how much they want to take on more work you know it's a lot of responsibility there so sometimes that does happen and i i hope it happens all the time but i'm sure that's not the case and if the you know, if the little fawn has, oh, it, it's cut or it's bleeding or it has some visible in, injuries, you know, then that'd be the time where you might want to call somebody oh. um, to, to come and help. Cause, uh, they, and call Tammy at those good folks up there at the Wildlife Rehab Center, and uh, they would give you more information as to what exactly to look for and how long you've noticed it and all these kind of questions. So they will do a, a little bit of triage before they uh, do anything else. Uh, ben Marty, I talked to Ben here a while back, and he was riding his bike through Mankato's Rasmussen Woods and on the Red Jacket Trail. When he came upon people pointing or using <laughs> binoculars and cameras, so he stopped and was told that a rare bird was being seen, a painted bunting. And the painted bunting, there's two populations. They're geographically isolated. One breeds across a wide swath of the south-central U.S. and into northern Mexico with a range that covers parts of what Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas, and probably 
Mississippi, I know they come as far north as Kansas and Missouri. The much smaller eastern population occurs on a narrow strip on the Atlantic coast from Florida and North Carolina. So Ben didn't have to look long. The bunting landed on the trail, and the strikingly colored male-painted bunting has a blue head, red underparts, and a yellow-green back, and they are dazzling. It turns the heads of birders and non-birders alike. So did this make Ben a birder? Oh, not yet. There's still hopes for him. Maybe he'll become a birder one day, but for now, he is a birder watcher. He plans on stopping his peddling whenever he sees a group of them. He said, no telling what I might see now. Uh, John from New Alm said, the weird thing about a neighbor with a bird feeder is, well, I'm I'm the neighbor with a bird feeder, too. We're pretty weird sometimes said, when I look out my window to see the birds by it, are the neighbors seeing me looking in their direction? (laughs) Maybe when I look out my window, I need to hold a sign by my window, bird watcher. (laughs) So thank you, John. It's always great to hear from you. Uh, Jeff Doyle, uh, who listens from Michigan, says, am I seeing a swift or a swallow? Swifts are grayish brown. They have bodies that often referenced as flying cigars. That's what they look like, a cigar with wings. And their narrow and curved wings move with these quick, shallow wing beats. Uh, Some folks describe it as it looks like only one wing is beating at a time. Their tails are very short and they're squared at the tip. Swifts can easily be confused with swallows, but if you see flashes of blue or orange or uh, uh, a strong white, that's probably a swallow. If the bird has long, skinny wings that look like they're fluttering, that's a swift. If they have thick wings tapering near the ends, that's a swallow. And swifts tend to hunt high above over buildings or trees, while swallows swoop low, like the ones that swoop low when we're mowing the lawn that come down and join us in that process. And Karen, you sent me something uh, from the, uh, it was uh, referencing the Raptor Education Group. I want to say, I know they're in Wisconsin. I want to say Antigo. I'm not sure, but I know they're from Wisconsin. And they admitted three adult ruby-throated hummingbirds from different areas within a two-hour period, and they were covered in grape jelly. One patient was deceased on arrival. The other are, are alive but struggling. Other hummingbirds were admitted earlier in the month. There is little doubt more will follow. Migration is a situation where the use is reasonable as jelly can offer life-giving energy to species such as an adult oriole if they encounter it in encounters inclement weather during migration. And then they reference bird safer jelly is available at specialty stores and they uh, mention wild birds unlimited in particular. I have no idea what bird safer jelly is. I'm guessing maybe it's something that goes in a special feeder that has a very small hole. That's what I'm thinking it is, but I I don't know that for sure. I try to put out limited amounts of jelly because I did have an Oriole. This was 20 years or so ago, and he got stuck in it. And it was a male. I guess Ooh. wouldn't surprise anybody to hear that, <laughs> but it was a male. And I brought him in the house, and we had to give him, uh, uh, you know, tender, loving baths. 
And then while we were doing that, he saw his uh, image in the mirror Uh and bristled at that (laughs) and uh, wanted to attack. So he'd perch on my finger and he'd he'd whistle. So I put (laughs) him up by the mirrored image and he hammered it a few times. And when the bird didn't leave, he kind of said, oh, I I don't want to fight with him anymore. So it was a younger male, and he was still finding his way through life. So it's you try to put him in small cups, So and I did that so Orioles couldn't get it and flop around. But I've never had uh, hummingbirds. I've had them drink from it uh, without any problem uh, because you get the little juice that comes off the grape jelly. But I've never had one get stuck in it. So would you recommend people don't do that then? Because I was reading that and I thought, oh, that's awful. I mean, is there a way uh, they can use, uh, jelly's a nice thing, but is there something else we should use as a substitute that would be less harmful to some birds? You sure could put orange slices out for the Orioles. And I, I don't think they found anything that goes wrong with that. Otherwise, probably just a small amount. You know, the problem with hummingbirds is they are so tiny. What's a small amount of jelly? But if you just put out small amounts of jelly, I would hope that would would help. And I'm going to check into this bird safer jelly. I have no idea. I've never heard that term i don't know what it is and i'm uh, boy i learn so much every time from this show so i am so interested <laughs> in finding too. out what that is i, I have no clue al i've I, got some other uh, text here from sure. folks and uh, so i'm going to read some of them to you this is from jeff in janesville he said the baby geese are getting big i want to ask if they are called pelts i think he means poults maybe and am and I am working on getting some good pictures of the pelicans I'm seeing as I'm quite close to them on the Lake Elysian. So P, he said pelts, P-E-L-T-S. Does he mean that, or do you think he means poults, baby geese? I, I don't know. Um, baby geese are goslings oh, okay. uh, for the most part, yeah, Jeff. And, and Jeff, it's always great to hear from you. Uh, poults are uh, young turkeys for the most part, and then um goslings and they are eating and pooping machines <laughs> yeah. as you all know they have little geese around it goes yeah. in one end <laughs> and almost immediately is processed and goes out the other end and that is their day those little guys they just got to put on weight they got to build feathers they got to be able to fly and it's amazing what they do and again, as I say often, they're like a uh, lawn service. They come in and <laughs> cut your grass, and then they fertilize it at the same time. And I know uh, we had geese, uh, and they used to come up to the sidewalk, and that's kind of where they like to uh, use that as their lavatory, and they would cover the sidewalk. So Do you know... It was- when I'm down at the lake, a lot of times if I want to remove dandelions or something, I'm crawling around on my hands and knees. And I'll tell you, if there's been geese there before, it's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, uh, are, uh, they are beautiful birds, Jeff. So thanks. And, uh, boy, we look forward to seeing your uh, seeing your photos. Hey, and this is from our friend Jennifer. And she says, hello, ma'am. I'm the ma'am. She says, I heard the bird guy say that he has raised chickens. So I have questions about them. Please ask the bird guy about fat chickens. I have seen pictures of some fat chickens like, oh, Lord, she coming kind of fat. This is a regular occurrence in chickens. Does it happen to backyard chickens or just commercially raised birds? 
Is it caused by disease or just eating too much? Does being a big fat fatty affect egg production? Also, do wild birds ever get fat? Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, first, do wild birds ever get fat? Boy, they sure do. Oh. A lot of the birds doing migration put on as much fat as they can because they'll burn it off. So when they ban birds in uh, fall migration, you can see the fat deposits on some of these little guys. But then uh, uh, there's like the black pole warblers. They're long-distance athletes. They look something like uh, chickadees, and they hold a record for the longest overwater flight for a songbird. Each fall, these they're probably a half ounce, and they migrate 1,800 to 2,000 miles across open water without stopping. And they sometimes fly more than 80 hours at a time until they reach their wintering grounds in the Amazon. So you need fat. You need everything you can get on there because you're not finding anything to eat while you're in the air. So they certainly do put them on. Our chickens were always free range, so we didn't see that uh, fat in those. But the neighbor, I remember, had these... Oh, they were called giants. I can't, if they were Jersey giants, uh, that's probably, a, you know, I think it's the New Jersey giants are probably a football team now, but they were Jersey giant chickens, and they were gigantic, and they had problems with some of them because they were bred to be so heavy, and I hope I'm getting the, the species name right on those things, but Joe, our neighbor, had them. And they would break their legs, folks, because they were so heavy. Uh, the structure couldn't support the weight of these chickens, and they were kind of a sad thing. So I hope they they quit making them or made them better, uh, maybe not gain weight so quickly. And that's when you're raising meat chickens. A lot of people wanted these meat chickens that they could just uh, send to market in a hurry. And so, they, yeah, they do get fat, and it's, uh, I just felt sorry for those poor chickens because they're kind of dragging themselves around the yard. And they were nice chickens, friendly chickens, and it just but so much fat on there. It's, it was incredible how big they get. And uh, I'm sure there's uh, several varieties of those kind of chickens because they were always coming out with some new kind of chicken that was going to revolutionize the chicken world, <laughs> and in many cases they did. I was walking out in Ohio, and I came upon a snapping turtle nest that had been... Uh, somebody had been in there and pilfered the eggs. There was uh, one egg found... and. It, snapping turtles are our largest turtle here in Minnesota. They can weigh 65 pounds in this upper shell that measures 20 inches. They can be that big from front to back. Uh, I'd say that size is probably pretty rare. I don't know what most snapping turtles, TJ would know, uh, 10 to 35 pounds. and Maybe their shells are from 8 to 14 inches. I'm taking a stab there. And male snapping turtles are bigger than the females, and their tails are proportionally longer. And snapping turtles are sexually mature when their shells are about 8 inches long or so, and I imagine that takes 8 to 10 years. And they'll lay a clutch of uh, 20 to 30 eggs in May and June. On Oh, this one I found was on a sandy river bank, but they'll do it in open fields, road embankments, trails, um, 
muskrat houses. I've heard they do that. I've seen them on lawns, and most nesting activity occurs in the early morning or late evening, especially on warm, rainy days. And the females use their hind legs. They dig a four to eight inch deep nest. And the white eggs have a tough leathery shell and they're shaped like ping pong balls. And the eggs will take 55 to 125 days to hatch depending upon the weather, but most probably hatch in 60 days or so. The hatchlings have a shell length of maybe an inch when they first hatch, but many of the eggs are eaten, like these that I found where they were all eaten but one, are eaten by raccoons, skunks, coyotes, possums, or foxes in the first day or two. I read something while I was out there, and it was put out, I think, by Ohio State. I I don't have it in front of me, but they said about 5% of the eggs hatch and only 1% survive to a reproductive age Uh, the female snapping turtles could live to be 50 years old but raccoons are the ones i see i've I've seen them a number of times digging up turtle nests raccoons are oh folks raccoons are so good at what they do (laughs) they're just uh they drive everybody crazy and i was uh, yelling no i had my wife yell at one last (laughs) night so Okay, I, I think they they listen to her better. I've got an, another one. This is from Cheryl in River Falls. What's the best thing for our bird-loving neighbors to do with their feeders? Take them in every night? And I think that's because they have a bear in the, the neighborhood. Yeah, Cheryl, I definitely would. I take them in, or my wife takes them in. One of us does just because of the raccoons. Oh, the raccoons, yeah. really? Okay. Yeah, so if I had a bear, I definitely would. Well, and how, I know how many birdhouses do you have? I mean, wouldn't you be spending half your night bringing them in? Yeah, it's all night. It's an all night job, <laughs> and we do it in shifts. Oh, so geez. we we each work a four hour shift taking them in, and it works out well when you divide up duties like that. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's, you know, it's like everything that you do. Often you develop a a technique, a method that you do it, and it works. We we know, I know exactly how many I can carry at one time wow. without spilling jelly or something all over myself. So it works out pretty good, and it's, yeah, you know, and once they start coming to stuff, they're going to keep coming. They, they, they put you on their route, and, uh, you know, I can complain about raccoons, but Cheryl, boy, I can, Bears. People send me photos of bears on feeders, so I I really have no complaints. Well, she and had a I, picture of, this is in River Falls, Wisconsin, right in their backyard, a big bear. And, you know, we never used to see them in that part of Wisconsin because I'm from the northwestern Wisconsin. But I think it's because we've been pushing our habitats. And, of course, climate change as well has been making them move to different areas as well. And the other one is deer. Deer will also come in and empty a a sunflower feeder. A guy showed me a video, again, out in Ohio, where the deer would come up and kind of butt the the hanging feeders, tubes, and it just hit it with its head a few times. (laughs) It made it come sunflowers. Yeah, (laughs) and it would eat them. And it'd eat them and then go back up and bang, bang. And, of course, on platform feeders, their tongue just comes out about a mile and just hoovers them all up. Hey, uh, boy, thanks, everybody. 
It's great. Uh, I know I miss some because I've been uh, enjoying life in the midst of busy airports. So, but uh, we'll get to you. Thank. Can, can I do one more? This is an important sure. one because my son yesterday had this happen to him. He was out golfing with his aunts, and uh, the gnats were about killing him. So our friend uh, John in New Alm says, "Is um, should you use some Absorbine Junior to for gnat repellent?" He says, "Does that?" He's going to check on that. Do you know about that? I've heard about it. I've talked to some people who swear by it and others who swear at it, and <laughs> I've never tried it myself. I don't know. I just can't I can't get up to putting Absorbine Jr. all over me. I don't know why. Well, what, what is absorbing. it? I don't even know. What is that? I, I have no idea. Oh, okay. uh, I, I've certainly heard of it, but okay. I've just, I, I put vanilla. Okay. Uh, and it, Yeah, and I like the smell. Okay. Even if it didn't work, I'd probably say, this is pretty cool, it's smelling like vanilla. So, uh, boy, for next week, if anybody's had luck or tried Absorbine Junior, I imagine it's something for uh, muscle aches or okay. something, aches and pains. I, I'm guessing at that. So, I, I'm just thankful I, I'm not more familiar with it because that would mean I'd probably have more aches and pains right. than I already have. Hey, uh, thanks everybody for sitting on the front porch with us. The other day I was at the post office. I go to the post office a lot. I always have a pile of something I got to mail, and some of it is media mail, so you, I just need stuff done. And a fellow I knew there must not have picked up his mail for a few days. Yeah, he was no longer nimble-fingered, and he dropped nearly all of it on the floor with just a crash. And he swore a bit. No, he swore a lot, and a hush fell over the crowd. He'd picked up a habit of excessive cussing, I think, during his many years at a factory, and he'd practice it to imperfection. Maybe he wasn't aware he was so loud. You know, sometimes, I don't know if he has hearing aids or should have hearing aids. I made a note to look up some of the harsh words he'd used when when I got home. I don't have a cuss word dictionary, but <laughs> I'll try to find out. He was uh, particularly hard on the slippery magazines his wife had subscribed to. It's easier to carry blankety-blank bullheads, he blurted out. He threatened to deposit the glossy periodicals in the trash can, but he didn't. I helped him pick up his mail, he thanked me, and I said, you're welcome, Pastor. He laughed his way out the door. Remember, Heartless, while we're driving past, thanks for listening to me. You can't go wrong listening to Karen Wright on KMSU. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Al. We'll talk to you next week. And uh, if you have questions we didn't get to, we'll try and get to them next week. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.